You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Help me out with this quote as we get started here today. Nothing good ever happens by accident, right? Maybe your mom or your dad or, or somebody that you know quoted that to you. Like, you know, nothing good ever happens by accident. It doesn't just fall in your lap. And we've got a special group with us here today. Uh, I want to let you know that our fourth and fifth grade circles are in the room. Fourth and fifth graders, where are you at? Back over there, right on. And uh, we've got junior high in here. We got some junior hires. Where are you guys at? Come on, get, no, I'm sorry, I need to know where you're at. Yeah, come on, come on, bring it up, get loud, there you go. Our junior hires in the back, and what I want to let you know is that today I want to talk about being intentional. What does it mean to look like being intentional in how you live your life, in, in where you put your hope? Because we're going to talk about being world changers in an ever-changing world. And today, what I want to do is speak to our preteens. I want to speak to our junior hires. Now, the beautiful thing is that those of us who are older, we know how to draw the parallel from what we're talking about there to our own lives. And I believe that God's got something that he wants uh, for you here today. But I want to talk to our preteens and junior hires and even early teens in here today about becoming a world changer in a constantly changing world. You think, I can't be a world changer till I'm an adult. I can't be a world changer till later. And the truth is, God wants you and I to be world changers right where you are at exactly whatever age you currently happen to be. Being a junior higher or a preteen is sometimes a harsh season, right? How many of you, by the way, in the room, you remember what it was like being back in junior high, right? You think everybody's looking at you all the time. I mean, it's just brutal, but let's be honest. How many of you for a million dollars would not go back and relive junior high? Okay, many, many of us, right? You just wouldn't do that because everybody feels awkward in the preteen years. Everybody feels awkward in those times and you're, and you're almost like you're being forced into, into what the world wants you to be. And the classic statement of a junior hire or a preteen is like, well, I didn't mean to, right? That's a classic statement. I didn't mean to, it was an accident, which means they're saying it was unintentional. And today I wanna to talk with you about being intentional. Because I believe for you, the young people, that there's not a better time for you to be intentional and to learn how to do that than at the age you're at right now. In fact, that's a classic statement, right? It was unintentional. I didn't mean to. You know, no one really gave it thought. It just happened. And I want to show you a picture from when I played soccer. Okay? Just for a minute, hold that picture there because look at those bangs. I just want to say that was unintentional. Right? Back in the 70s, you know, I think uh, hairstyles for kids were unintentional. Let me back that up. Let me say in the 70s, hairstyles were unintentional. I mean, you look back at that, everybody's shaggy, everybody's crazy. Then you go to the 80s and you see this like Aquanet knee jerk reaction to all the craziness of the hair in the 70s. In fact, for a lot of you guys in the room, if we're honest, is yeah, that's me. Um, Look at that hair parted down the middle, by the way. That was semi-intentional. And what I learned is that I will never, ever do that again, right? Not down the middle, not like that, but that was kind of the same. But what I, what I think is for some of you guys in the room, if we were to be honest, if we look back at your childhood pictures, if your prime years were in the 70s, maybe even early 80s, um, I think somebody driving up next to you in the car might not be able to tell by your hairstyle your gender, right? 
Because you might have big, long hair. Some of you had the most amazing mullet ever known to man. Your mullet game was strong. And there are times that we look and we go, oh, it was unintentional. And life gets awkward. I remember being that age. I remember going from that age feeling awkward and then braces happened and then headgear happened. Right? That's intentional by the orthodontist, but whoever designed that thing, man, that was just cruel. That was cruel. And you go through these years, these seasons where you're like, everybody's trying to make you what they want you to be. Everyone's trying to force you into a mold. And it's hard. It's hard to say, how do I resist the pull of our culture? You know, there was a time as a preteen that wearing deodorant was unintentional. Right? Till somebody came along and was like, your body's changing and you need to put some deodorant on. Uh, there was a time in being preteen or a junior higher when you and I would blurt out things. We would say things that were really dumb. And sometimes we would get in trouble for it. And sometimes we wish we never said it because it was awkward and embarrassing. And unfortunately, sometimes we haven't outgrown that. Some of us are still blurting out things and it's awkward and unintentional and we still get in trouble for it, right? Right? This big mouth gets us in trouble at times. We say all the time, I didn't mean to. It was an accident. It was unintentional. And I may or may not have known better. These are the perfect years for you who are in fifth and sixth grade, fourth and fifth grade, in your junior high years. These are the perfect years for you to grow in being intentional about the things that really matter. And here's what I mean by that. Everyone is trying to force you to become what they want you to be. Culture is going to say, you got to do what we do. you got to have what we have. you got to behave what we behave like, and, and you need to believe what we believe. That's what happened. And that's what our culture does, right? They're going to say, you need to act like we do. You need to fit into our mold. You need to believe what we believe. And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you're a preteen or a junior higher. But what it matters is that you need to be like me. And they're trying to get us all to be one. It's almost as if, you know, they were telling, you know, a God who's created diversity and God who loves diversity, a God who's three in one. It would be like telling all the horses in the world that you need to be like a zebra. And all the horses in the world have to get, you know, they have to go and get their hair dyed. They got to go and look like a zebra. They got to act like a zebra. They got to make that zebra noise that only zebras can make. You know what I'm talking about, right? When they're running away from the lion, that noise. And you got to teach other horses. Well, you, sorry, you got to go to voice lessons as a horse. And you got to be like me. And our culture does it. It takes all these different diversity of this world and thought. But culture has this gravity that tries to make it like us. And it was true of Daniel. He's pulled away from his Jewish heritage. And he's now in Babylon. And they're going to preach, you need to be like us. You need to be like me. So if you'll have your Bible open to Daniel chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. This is in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. There's a king, the king of Babylon. His name is Darius, and this is some years later in Daniel's life when this story takes place. But it says this, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Okay, so there's three administrators, right? Daniel's one of them. Okay, follow along with me. It says this, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So they're the middle management, right? You've got the king, you've got three administrators, Daniel's one of the administrators, and you have all the satraps, about 120 of them, and they are to enforce that the king 
gets all his resources, the king gets his taxes, that the kingdom doesn't suffer loss, the kingdom doesn't fall apart because there's not embezzlement, that all those things happen. That's their job. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. This is what I want to point out to you. All of a sudden, the king is saying, there is one guy who's trustworthy. It's Daniel. And he's so good at what he does, I want to make him ruler over all. Well, all the entitled people, all the national people, the other administrators and the hopeful future middle management administrators, they don't like it. They don't want to be under this outsider. They don't want to be under that awkward guy. They want people who look like them and act like them, and so they're jealous. It says this, they were unable to do so. They could not find, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has to do with something, something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, they've gone to the king and they said, we all agree that over the next 30 days, king, it should all be about you. Now, if you're the king... That sounds pretty good, right? Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to set this trap for Daniel? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to make the king feel good about himself. King, they should only pray to you. Now, what they said is, we all agree. Did they all agree? There are three administrators. Do you think Daniel agreed to this suggestion? Nope, they went around the system, right? He's not there at the moment. He's not with them. They've, they've gone and said, oh, by the king, king, by the way, we all agree. So they said, now your majesty, issue the decree, put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Remember, culture is going to preach, you need to be like me. And when they don't get their way, they're going to go around and they'll manipulate. They'll do what they need to do to say, hey, we all think that all of us should just be the same. We're going to put this decree in writing. We're going to try to trap Daniel in his worship of his God. It's called subscriptionism. Subscriptionism is this, that everybody needs to believe the same. Everybody needs to think the same. Everybody needs to fairly look the same. Everybody needs to act the same. You need to believe what we believe. If we cheat, you need to cheat. Um, If we you know, use certain apps, and you all need to use certain apps. And let me tell you, it compromises your ability to be trustworthy. Some of you young people in the room, your junior highs, your preteens, and you've got people around you who are like, you need the device that we have. You need the kind of cell phone that we have. By the way, you need to use the apps that we use. And by the way, don't tell your parents about it, but we just need to use the apps that we use because that's how we communicate. And everybody's doing it, even if it compromises, even if it opens up your eyes and your world to things that you should not see or that compromise your worship, we still think you need to do it. And if 
if we're going to cheat, we think you ought to help us out and you ought to cheat in school too. And they're going to go on and what happens? They become corrupted. They begin to compromise being trustworthy. Now we've all made mistakes in this room. But while some mistakes are unintentional, being trustworthy takes great intention. Sometimes you and I make mistakes. Those are, there's even two types of sin. Did you know that? There are sins of commission, which means you meant to do it and you did it. You know you did it. But there's also, David talks in the Old Testament about, Lord, forgive me of any sins of omission. These would be like, I, I didn't even know I offended somebody. I didn't even know that I said something that hurt somebody else's feelings. I, I didn't even know I unintentionally sinned. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know the procedures or whatever. And, and, and somehow I sinned. And so he's saying, God, forgive me of my, my sins I meant to do, but also forgive me of my sins of omission, the ones I, I just didn't even mean to do. And the beautiful thing is that God and his grace covers both. He covers both. So while making some mistakes are unintentional, being trustworthy on the opposite end of the spectrum takes great intention. So parents and teens and young adults and singles, this is how you go from being an excuse maker to being a person who is trustworthy. And I want to give you three points that help you out with this today. Number three in your outline, these are three commitments to being trustworthy by Andy Stanley. So the first one is this. I commit to do what I'll say I'll do, and when I don't, I'll tell you. I commit to do what I say I'll do, and when I don't, I'll tell you. Why is that important? Listen, it's always better for you to be the one who tells when you haven't done something that you said you would do. If you said you would take out the trash and you haven't done it, it is better for you to say, hey, I haven't yet taken out the trash, but I'm going to get that done, than for your parent to discover that the trash trucks came and the barrels didn't get out and the trash didn't get taken, and so they're going to overflow and smell for a week. So it's better for you to tell. Does that make sense? I'll do what I say I will do, and when I don't, I'll tell you. It's always better. Second, I commit to not overpromise and underdeliver. But if it looks like that's where things are headed, I'll tell you. Okay, this is hugely important. Some of you will understand the nature of this. If you want to build trust in the workplace, if you want to build trust between your spouse, if you want to build trust with other people, this is a great important rule that you commit to not overpromise and underdeliver. How many times do you hate it when a company or a product overpromises? And underdelivers. It's not great. You don't trust that company anymore. You don't like it. But if it looks like that's where things are headed, then it's up to you to tell. So what does this look like for a junior hire, for a preteen? It looks like this. If you say, I will be home at this certain time, but it looks like you're going to be late, it is on you to tell your parent that you're going to be late instead of them trying to track you on your mobile device, find you, call you five times, text you three times, for you to be able to tell them that, yes, in fact, I'm not going to hold up my end of the bargain. It's always better if you tell, if you explain. What else does this look like? It looks like this. If you said, I'm going to my friend's house and my friend's parents are going to be home, but when you get there, 
you find out that the parents are not home. In fact, they're not going to be home the whole time that you thought that you would be there. It is up to you to communicate that to your parents, then later on to find out that you overpromised that the parents were going to be there, but you didn't deliver because when you got there, they weren't there, and you didn't tell your parents. It's on you. It's always better to do that, right? If you say to someone, I will pray for you, but you have no intention on following through on that, or it was like a good suggestion, but you don't really actually mean to pray, you don't actually get on your knees or pray about that situation, about that person, then you're over-promising and you're under-delivering. And I want to tell you, this is what our culture does all the time. Pray for Vegas. Pray for Northern California. Pray for this, pray for that. And all the time, what do we do? It's like saying, well, we just wish you well. It's like we wish you happy holidays is almost like what it's saying. We hope it goes well for you. We hope things get better for you. We hope your circumstances turn around. And I think we talk about praying more than we pray. So I commit to not overpromise and underdeliver. But if it looks like we're th- that's where things are headed, I'll tell you. And so you say to someone, I'll pray for you. And then you ask them about what you're praying for. Like, give me an update so that I know that the prayers are being answered in any particular way. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do. It's good. It's always better to come from you. Last, if you want to be more trustworthy, then if you confront me about the gaps I have created, I'll tell you the truth. See, you and I are not perfect. Every now and then there's going to be gaps. We will have promised something and not delivered. There's a gap. We didn't follow through on something we said we were going to do. Listen, it is up to us when we're confronted about that to tell the truth. But what does our culture do? We make excuses. All the time we make excuses. Well, it was just this. These were all the difficulties that led up, so I didn't get it done. And, and we make all these excuses. We blame other people. We make excuses. And, and what happens is we're building a case where we are not trustworthy. We can't be trusted to do what we said we would do. And let me tell you, it, when you're confronted about that, it's always better for you to tell the truth. Why? Because most times when your manager or your parent or someone comes to you to confront you about a gap in your delivery or a gap in your behavior, they already know the answer. And what they're really doing is saying, I've discovered this, I pretty much know why, I know the truth, and I'm going to find out, will you be honest with me about why it didn't get done? Listen, do you want to build trust with a manager Do you want to build trust in the workplace? Do you want to build trust between a husband and a wife? Do you want to build trust between a child and a parent? Then when you're confronted about the gaps you've created, tell the truth. Be honest about it. Own it. Don't blame other people. Don't say, oh, I intended to. I just didn't get it done. It's better to tell the truth. So let's find out if Daniel continues to be trustworthy, right? They've set the trap. They set the trap with the king. Whoever doesn't follow the edict that the king put in writing is going to get thrown in the den of the lions. And that's not on the correct side of the glass at the zoo. That's on the wrong side of the glass at the zoo, okay? So this trap has been set. Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Listen to me. When the culture squeezes you, 
when the culture says, you've got to look like we look like, you've got to do what we do, Daniel had already pre-decided, I'm going to continue to do the trustworthy things that make me a man who is not corrupted, a man who is not negligent. I'm going to do the things that honor the living God, not these false gods that all our culture worships. And he's going to continue to do that. Says this, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree during the next 30 days? Anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den. They throw out a challenge, a question. The king answered, and I'm sure he did this in a very official tone. The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, (laughs) Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you. Your majesty, order the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, Remember, your majesty, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now you want to say, well, how do we know that Daniel didn't know about the edict? Because... The first verse we looked at here said that when Daniel learned that the decree had been published. See, he wasn't in that meeting. They all didn't agree. He realized as a trap has been set. But I'm going to do the things that I've done that have made me a person who is trustworthy. He continues to do those. Well, what happens? They come and get him. He gets bullied. And let me tell you something in the room because I believe some of you in this room are bullied, have been bullied have been in a situation where you've been in a tough situation. And there's nothing like being bullied to test if your God and your faith in God are real. Because young people in the room, listen, there are moments when sometimes a parent cannot rescue you. Sometimes friends or a teacher or a coach can't make your pain stop. And you need to know at this age now, That there is a God who hears you, who cares about you, and can do what powerless adults cannot do. You need to know that your God is real and that your God can save. Perhaps there's nothing you can do to change what's going on in your circumstances. You know, for some of you, you might be a young person and maybe your parents are divorcing. I remember having a friend named Derek and and my friend Derek, when we were in in sixth grade, his parents were divorcing. And Derek, we've been tight friends, but all of a sudden, every time he'd see me, he'd come up and just punch me in the shoulder. And I'd be like, what in the world? And I'd hit him back. But then he'd punch me in the shoulder and, and I was like, what is going on? And I realized he's just acting out the pain of what's going on in his life. Why? Because hurting people hurt people. So it didn't matter that we were great friends. It's just he just didn't know how to handle the pain. And there are sometimes that your circumstances come around. Maybe you've got an injury or someone you know is really sick and you think everybody is looking at you all the time. Do you remember that in junior high, by the way, adults in here? Do you remember that you thought everybody was looking at you all the time? 
You were mortified if you had like a little, you know, spot on your pants or something. You were like, oh my goodness, it was just mortifying. I remember being in a restaurant one time and I'm sitting next to my brother, Doug, and he's shaking the uh, ketchup bottle. And the ketchup bottle is, he's shaking it before he's going to put it on his hamburger. And he's sitting next to a wall and as he's shaking it hard like this, the lid is not on tight. And, and he, he hits he goes like this, and it hits the wall. Well, the lid comes off, and the pressure it built up inside, and ketchup went in the air. I remember watching it fall toward me. And I am wearing, in the day and age, high fashion, a light yellow shirt and white shorts. And the shorts were about right, right here for guys, because that was cool back then. And the ketchup just fell right on me, right? Now, we're at a restaurant in the mall, and I know we're shopping for like three hours. And all of a sudden, I mean, it was like, it looked like I just got hit by, you know, unfriendly fire in the restaurant. I almost fell out in the aisle. You know, like, ah, it just it went down. But it's not what happened. What happened was I catch up all over me, and I'm trying to wipe it off, and I am mortified. I think everybody in the mall is just going to look and laugh at me for good reason. And I remember, like, crinkling up a little newspaper that was at the front, and I kind of just, like, folded it out. And I walked around the rest of the mall the whole day with the newspaper, like, here, which got more awkward because it left the ink on my shorts. Right? So now I have like this black thing with this red ketchup stains and there's no way to hide what's on my shirt and we're in the mall and my parents aren't going to buy me new clothes because I got the clothes I have on dirty and it's just, I just remember being so mortified and my hand gets all black from the newspaper. I mean, it's just awkward, right? Painful memories. To this day, my brother still laughs about it and I'm able to finally, after a lot of counseling and help <laughs> as well, listen, sometimes... Your circumstances can't change. And when your circumstances are hard, you begin to get squeezed. And when you and I get squeezed, we're like Daniel. When you and I get squeezed, we have every right to say, you know what? Life is hard. So I'm going to indulge and do what I want. I'm going to do like the king. The king loved this edict because it was doing as he pleased. He's like, yes, I want people to worship me. And when Daniel got in this point and he starts to get squeezed, he had the opportunity to do what a lot of us do. And that is that we get corrupted or we get negligent. And those are really big words. And, and what I want to tell you th that for some of you in this room, you may not know what, it, what does it mean to be, what is corrupt? Or what is negligence? You don't even know what that means. Well, let me describe it for you. When you get squeezed by life, these things happen. Many people at hard times corrupt them. What does corrupt mean? It means, well, since I'm having hard times, I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm going to cheat, or I'm going to steal, or I'm going to lie, or I'm going to fight. Because it seems like everybody else can do that and get away with it. And I'm feeling pain, so I'm going to take my pain out on other people. And, and you're going to do these things. You're going to do whatever you want to do out of selfishness. And when that happens, that's called you get corrupted. That's what it means. When these things happen, when life is hard around you, many people at hard times make them negligent. You say, well, what is negligent? Well, negligence is when you should have done something or should have taken careful precautions and you didn't. You got lazy. You took the easy way out. And listen, that's what happens when we have hard circumstances. Sometimes we just start to blame. Well, it wasn't my fault. Somebody else should have rescued me. Somebody else should have done that for me. It was unintentional. It's what happens when we get lazy or we don't have any real direction because life is hard. And so we blame other people. We don't own it and take responsibility for our actions. Listen, Daniel had every reason to be lazy in forced work for a country 
that was not his country. No one would blame him if he said, listen, it's not my fault. It's your fault. You dragged me out of my country. You took me to this foreign land. I'm not bringing value to you at all. Daniel had every reason to cheat, to get ahead, to steal, to lie, to be selfish because his life had been taken from him, stolen from him, hijacked from him. He had every right. But that is not what world changers do. You change your world where you are. Daniel was trustworthy. And I want you to hear that because no matter your age in this room, I want you to realize that some of us put our hope in the change and then we think we'll change the world. Well, if my job would just change, then I'll be a world changer. If my circumstances would just change, then I will do what God wants me to do. If this would happen, then we begin to think that if these external things happen, then the internal character will just arrive. And the reality is, no, you and I need to build in the hard season a season of being trustworthy. When we've been corrupted, we need to come back and repent before the Lord. When we've been negligent, when we've been lazy, when we've been depressed and numb to life, we need to take the steps to allow God to make us trustworthy and come back to life. Well, Daniel did the right thing. He brought value to his culture without compromising his identity or his God. But now it looks like he might die for doing the right thing. His life's not fair, right? Verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then he, the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Listen to me. The benefit had been this. That king, we're going to prop you up. We're going to make life all about you. And sometimes when life becomes all about us, our false gods make us not be able to sleep. See, it was his false god of himself that trapped him. And now his right-hand guy, the guy he trusted the most, the guy who didn't go around the system, the guy who didn't have ultimate agendas, the king is saying, now I'm going to lose this guy because I made life all about me. And let me tell you, there are some of you in this room that your gods own you. And they're all about you. And your gods will own you and keep you awake a lot of times. Right? The more you have, the more what you have has you. How many of you have ever dreamed, wouldn't it be nice to downsize and not have these responsibilities and not have... And then there are people right now who are facing the loss of everything in these fires. And many of their gods have been burned to the ground. And when life squeezes them, they have every cultural right to be negligent. They have every cultural right to blame God. They have every cultural right to be corrupted. And yet we're going to see story after story of people who put their hope in God and find that he's trustworthy and that they continue as their squeeze to be trustworthy with the living God because they stopped worshiping false gods that own them. So the king can't sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? 
And the next two words are all that need to be said. The story could end right there. Because the next two words say, Daniel answered. That's the miracle. That's the amazing thing. The king rushes back. No one should answer. Daniel should be lion chow. He should, nothing should have happened to him except that he's eaten by the lions. But Daniel answered. He says this, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Let's notice what Daniel didn't say. Daniel didn't say, hey, look, by the way, the lions don't lie. I was right. Now go get those other guys. He doesn't have to say, they betrayed me. Can you believe they did that to us, king? They almost said, we had a good thing going, and they almost ruined it. He didn't have to do any of that. He said, I'm bringing value to you, and he points the king, who has just declared himself to be the one prayed to, declared himself to be God. He has said that my God sent an angel and shut the lion's mouths. But he still gives honor to the position of the king. Verse 23, then the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Thank you, dad. Bad move, right? And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. See, these lions, all night long, they've got meat in front of them. It's Daniel. But they have a God-enforced Daniel fast. And all night long, they're just looking like, oh, that looks like good meat, right? But they're not allowed to eat Daniel because God is with him. But in the next morning, when meat is presented to them, they respond to meat like anybody else who's had a Daniel fast or been dieting, like you respond to meat. And they pounce, and before they even hit the ground, the lions overpower them and kill them. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Remember, he said, I issue a decree. You must worship me. Now he says, I issue a decree. You must, I'm going to give you a higher rule. I'm not outwriting the other rule. I'm giving you a higher one. He says this, You must worship the God, reverence the God of Daniel. And then he gives this quote. Listen to how little the king talks about himself. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Look what happens. By Daniel's example... The king who thought himself to be God, the king who said his opinion is most important, changes because of Daniel's commitment to be trustworthy and to rely on the living God. And there are people who are watching you. There are people in this world who are dying under the burden of self-worship, and they are asking, is your God real? Do you actually pray to him? Can he actually save? On your outline, I want to give you two points by which you'll change the world. First, they will see you praying to an unchanging God, even though the world and its opinions change all the time. You consistently do the things that allow you to be trustworthy, that when you're tempted to be corrupted, you come back toward God. When you've been negligent, you come back toward God, and over time, you build consistency in your life and trust. Second, the powerful combo is to grow in being trustworthy and respond to bullying with dignity. 
not with revenge, not with payback, not with hatred that owns and consumes you, but with dignity. And listen, these people in this culture, they're looking for the reality of God in your life and mine. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, as we go to a time just to pray and think about your own life, if you're a believer in the room, I want you to take a moment because maybe you've been getting squeezed in life and maybe you found that you've been corrupted or you've been negligent. And what I want to do is if God right now, if his Holy Spirit, you just sense that God knows and he knows how you've been corrupted, he knows how you've been negligent, that you just tell him the truth. If God's Spirit is confronting you or me about the gaps in our behavior, then we just need to respond with the truth. Will you be honest with God right now if you're a believer? There are some of you in this room, you are convinced that Jesus now is the only way to be saved. You want your sin to be washed away. You want to be clean before God. You want for him to rescue you because of his goodness, not because of anything you do. And if today you're willing to receive Jesus as Lord, if you're willing to say, God, I'm going to give you me. I'm at the end of my self-worship. I'm at the end of me. Then you pray a prayer right after me like this, right where you're seated. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. Give me a new heart. I believe that the only way my sin is washed away is by your sacrifice on the cross for me. I believe you died, that you were buried, and that you rose to new life because you're God. And so today, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.